If you have your Bibles this evening, or or should I say this afternoon, I want you to open them up to Acts chapter 2, because today is the day of Pentecost. This is what we call in church Pentecost Sunday. For many people, they have no idea what that means, but Pentecost did not start in Acts chapter 2. As a matter of fact, it starts in Exodus 19. But I want you to know, for the sake of the world, God lights a fire in you and I, so we will never be the same, and we can take this wonderful message of hope, faith, and optimism and a changed life around the world. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues of fire that set upon each and every one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. I want to talk to you this morning as we start a new series on the God of the universe, and that God of the universe now has come on this particular teaching to live inside of his children and to change the world for the sake of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. It's a lamp and it's a light. Let it touch our hearts, your word. Let my words fall. Let your words touch our hearts and change us. In Jesus' mighty name and all God's men and women said, amen. Amen. I think about this topic because this has been a, uh, a misunderstood topic. It's been a topic that has been so marginalized and so focused on a gift and made it a platform of evidence when it's not the evidence of salvation, it's a gift of God. God gives the gifts so you and I can change the world. The gifts of God, the Bible says they're without repentance. That means we can't send our gifts away. We can't, we can't send that call of God away. But I want you to understand that because God starts something amazing with the Jewish people. In Exodus chapter 19, it's really the first day of Pentecost. But you have to understand what God is doing with the Jewish people because as goes Israel, so goes the church. What's happening in the natural happens in the spiritual. Because when you think of Israel nowadays, it's kind of thought-provoking to think, how does that apply to our lives? Well, you have to go back to what the scriptures say. I want you to go with me this morning in the theater of your mind to this mountain. This mountain is called Mount Sinai. In this mountain, God delivered the children of Israel from Pharaoh's bondage. Pharaoh, the scriptures tell us, he is a type of Satan. He's a bondage holder, a bondage person. He's one that holds people and they can't accomplish what God's put in them to accomplish. So he's the type of Satan. God has used Moses. Moses is a type of Christ, the deliverer, to demonstrate and crush the ten major gods of Egypt. Little g, little gods. In numerical numbers in the scripture, ten means test. Anytime you see ten in the Bible, it means a test. So he's crushed ten major gods. The testing of those little gods are no match for the God of the universe. And he's crushed all ten of them to prove his supremacy as the God of all gods. He takes them out of Egypt. Egypt is a type of sin. He takes them through the Red Sea. The Red Sea represents the type of a water baptism for a New Testament. Now in the Old Testament, it's the type of the mikvah. It's the ceremonial bathing that the Jewish people would do before they celebrated at the temple for Passover. And he delivers them out of this amazing thing. They pass through the Red Sea and it's 50 days later. Everybody say 50. Now 50 numerically is an interesting number because it means to the full. 
10 is the number of testing, but 50 means to the full. And it's 50 days later, which means to the full. 50 days later, they're at this mountain. God does this amazing thing. He delivers them. Now they're at a mountain. The mountain is called Sinai. And at the mountain of Sinai, they receive the written word of God, which is called the Torah. Leviticus 23 tells us that. They receive the Ten Commandments. Now, what does the number 10 mean? Test, the testing to see if you're going to obey God, the Ten Commandments. They receive the instructions for how to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle represents the house of God, how to build the church, the church that, that God would dwell in in the Old Testament. Now, no longer it's made by hands, it's by the Spirit of God. Now, that's the New Testament, you and me. But think about it. He shows them how to build the tabernacle. He gave them the festivals and the civil law that was to govern Israel and bring to us freedom in a Western society that would govern for ages and from generation to generation. He shows them how to party. He shows them if you're going to do this, this is the party. This is the food. You're all going to have a great time of celebration. He tells them how to get the mariachis and the quinceanera. He, no, he didn't do that. But he shows them how to have fun, but how to be serious. He gives them both sides. Now let's go to this mountain again. Mountain is called Sinai. You're standing there at this mountain with at least two million people. There are two million people there and they're gathered, the scriptures say, around the edge of the mountain. Because God says anybody who touches the mountain, they're surely going to die. They're standing there and all of a sudden, this amazing thing begins to happen. This ground beneath them begins to shake beneath their feet. The sky becomes as black as a thousand midnights. Forked tongues of lightning fire bathe across the heavenlies. Be blazing fire comes from the top down to that mountain because Moses and God are face to face. The trumpets of God, remember the trumpet in the scripture announces royalty. The trumpet is announcing royalty because Moses and God are face to face. They blast louder and louder and louder and the voice of God speaks to every one of those millions of people so they can hear it. And here's what God says, I am the Lord God who brought you out of Egypt, out of bondage of slavery. God spoke that day to the Jewish people audibly. But this was the first day of Pentecost in the scriptures. Some of you have an idea of Pentecost as some crazy person juggling snakes. And if the snake bites you, then you're not Pentecostal. And if the snake doesn't bite you, then no deadly thing harmed thee. But that's not Pentecost. That's crazy people. Pentecost is first in the Old Testament recorded in the scripture. But understand, this is an elaborate rehearsal for the day of Pentecost that's to happen in Acts chapter 2. And it tells us in the day of Pentecost when it fully comes. Remember, fully comes means on the 50th day. Remember that, that number 50 to the full. 50 days exactly when God said it was going to happen. Pentecost was a revelation of God to Israel to show his awesome power. But Pentecost was a revelation of God to the church to show that now he lives inside of his sons and his daughters. Both events happen exact day 4,000 years apart. They happened on the exact day 4,000 years apart. Now think about that. God just doesn't do something sometime. I always get a kick out of people and they say, God's just doing stuff. No, God does an exact thing at an exact time when he wants to. Amen. His ways are not our ways, but he just doesn't do things randomly. 
And when you read the scriptures, what happens is you start to develop an appreciation for the demonstration and the preciseness of the majesty and power of God. Anyone can look at the genius of nature and have to conclude there is a design. And they would have to conclude there is a master plan and conclude there is a thought. So let's carry that further. If there is a design, there has to be a designer. Who? If there is a master plan, there has to be a planner. Who? If there is a thought to all of this, then there has to be a thinker. Who? Science tries to say it's the bang, Big Bang Theory. But I say, who lit the match? What caused the Big Bang? Who caused the Big Bang? It was not a process of evolution where a little tadpole kind of started wiggling in the water and the pond and the billions of years it developed legs. It crawled out on the pond and went back into the water. Billion more years passed. It developed a tail and it went up in the tree. A billion years passed. Now it hangs by the tree and that's your great, great granddaddy. I don't know about y'all, but I don't have faith enough to believe that. I believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that explains us. In other words, the Alpha and the Omega, he did that. The one who holds the seven seas in the palms of his hand, he did that. The one, the scriptures say, sits upon the circle of the earth, he did that. The one who puts kings up and he puts them down, he did that. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting, he did that. The one who put his finger in stone at Mount Sinai and said, I am the Lord God, there is no other, he did that. That God is our God. The one who sent the Holy Spirit in the upper room and cloven tongues of fire sat upon on all of them and they were forever changed that God is our God he's a powerful God and there's none like unto him not in the heavens above the worlds of the worlds beneath can somebody put their hands together and thank God for his amazing grace because this is an amazing thought when you see this first day of Pentecost at Sinai God's not forcing people to do his will he doesn't force the Jewish people, and he doesn't, he doesn't force you and I to do his will. He didn't force the Jewish people to keep those Ten Commandments, those testings, if you will, because that would violate human rights. In other words, what God put as human rights, free moral agency. See, you and I are free moral agents. We can choose whatever we want. That's why you can choose to be happy, or you can choose to be miserable. You can choose to have a good day, or you can choose to have a bad day. You say, no, my day dictates how I choose to live. Sorry for you. You can live your life expecting great things or expecting the other shoe to drop. See, he didn't violate free will, but he gave them options. I love what the Jewish people did because they, this amazing event happens. The first day of Pentecost, God just lights it up. He begins to split the languages I'll talk about in a moment. And in the Old Testament, he speaks audibly to the people. Every person could hear it. And guess what they say? They say, whatever the Lord says, we're going to do it. But listen, they said that before he gave them the Ten Commandments. And when he gave them the Ten Commandments, they were like, I don't know. I don't really know if I can uh, love my neighbor. I don't really know if I shall not covet. I don't really know if I shouldn't murder. I don't really know. If, did God really say that? See, God gave them free choice. He gave them free choice. They had this opportunity, but they chose not to live by it. They had a wonderful pathway, but they chose to go another way. No different from you and I. Listen to Exodus 20, verse 21. It said, the people stood afar off. 
In other words, when God started to say, hey, this is what I want for you, the people stood far off. But Moses and God drew themselves together, the scriptures say, in the thick darkness. And the scriptures tell us something interesting, that the Lord dwelleth in the thick darkness. Why? Because God was wanting a person that wouldn't look at the rules and the regulations and say, don't do this and do that. God was looking for people who were hungry just to go after him. And the Bible says Moses, when, other, when it got dark and the others backed away, Moses drew near in the darkness. And the scriptures say that's where God was. The Lord dwelleth in the thick darkness. You know, there are times when we all want sunshine. Isn't it true? We want the sunshine. We, how wonderful it is when the car is going well. It's working and it's not a Shanita. She need every brake and every muffler. And it's, the car's good. The kids are doing good. And, and, and the bills are paid. And the health is good. But how about when all hell breaks loose? And things begin to get dark. In the times of the darkness... We really get tested. That number 10 comes to mind. We get tested to see what's really inside of us. And something along life's journey comes over us. It's a dark place, a dark moment, a dark diagnosis, a dark time with our children, a dark place with our family. And suddenly we have an opportunity to draw away from God or dig down deeper to the root of God's word and say, that I will praise thee, the glory and the lifter of my head. I will not lend, but I will I will borrow I won't borrow but I'll lend I'll be a person of excellence it's when you got to dig down deep in the root of God's word and suddenly you'll find a wellspring of life strength and vitality you've never known before because I believe God dwells in that thick darkness in those darker places consider Jonah Jonah disobeyed God when Jonah starts disobeying God God's not up in heaven wringing his hands saying oh my goodness angels Jonah's not obeying me whatever shall I do God's not tripping. He sent a strong wind after Jonah. The sailors threw him overboard because Jonah, everything obeys God except the man of God. The winds obey. The waves obey. Shamu obeys. God says, Shamu, go pick him up. And then Shamu comes right alongside and swallows up the preacher. How many of you know Jonah's in a dark place? How many of you can imagine how dark it was in Shamu's belly? And God says, Jonah, let's review your options. Didn't I call you to go to Nineveh and preach that gospel? I thought I did, Jonah. You know what? If you say yes and, and say yes to the will of God and the word of God, I'll cause Shamu to get seasick and spew you out on shore. But if you say no, you're coming out the other end. You know what Jonah says? Whatever it is, Lord, I'd love to do your will. Pour me out like a drink offering. I mean, he sang worship songs before they were worship songs. He worshiped in the dark place of the belly, I promise you. But my point is, does God have you in a dark place? Listen to me. God will be there with you in the darkest of times because I believe the Lord dwelleth in those dark places. Standing somewhere in the shadows, if you'll dig down deep, you will find Jesus and he'll show you the great depth and the height and the love of God that you've never even considered before. He's getting ready to take places to you and take you to places that other people cannot go, making those crooked places straight. He's getting ready to open up the windows of heaven and bless you with blessings you cannot contain. He's getting ready. He's not taking it out he's regearing you to do what God's called you to do but you have to stick with it 
Now, I think that's important because this Feast of Pentecost in the Old Testament is really a revelation, but it's an elaborate rehearsal for what's happening in Acts chapter 2, 4,000 years later. I want you to see the comparison, however, of these two dramas. It was exactly on the 50th day. Remember, the number 50 means the full, the pouring out, the, the fullness. It means the full of. It's not you're full of it, but God's wanting you to get it. But 50 days after... The children of Israel came from the Red Sea at Sinai. The Bible says there were forked tongues of fire. There was thunder. There was lightning. Exactly 4,000 years later in the upper room, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. Did you catch that? 50 days after the same thing happened. Cloven tongues of fire sat upon the head of each and every person that was there. Exactly what happened at Sinai happened in the upper room to the fullest degree at the same time. The Ten Commandments, remember the test at Sinai, the scriptures tell us they were written on tablets of stone. Exodus 24, 12 tells us that. But in the upper room, there was another commandment written. It was not written by tablets of stone. The scriptures say it was written on the hearts of our flesh, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, by the hand of the apostle Paul. At Sinai, the commandments were written by, uh, by, the, by the finger of God. In the upper room, they were written by the Spirit of God. Oh, that's so good. In the Old Testament, God wrote them with his finger because it was not to be changed. But in the upper room, he wrote it through the spirit because you're not to live by the letter of the law. It killeth. You're to live by the spirit of almighty God. I've been to too many letter church services where everything is letter driven. Everything is, eh, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Some of you need to get off your derriere and get indignant about worshiping the Lord. Get serious about your praise. Get real about what it is that you're believing God for. Stop the religious letter of the law and get to the spirit and let God feel you to overflow in the mighty name of Jesus. Now think about this. I'm going to go back to the two comparisons. If it's written in the, in the hand of God in Exodus 34, 20, or excuse me, 24, 12, at Sinai, he, written, he wrote it on stone. Remember, Moses had to do the next one because he broke them. Then the Spirit of God is, is in us eternally. Now think about this because this is an, an interesting comparison. At Sinai, 3,000 people were slain. Because they worshiped the golden calf. And remember what God said with those testing of the ten. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so they put other gods before him. God says, ah, ah, he, he's the first, first, first mafioso. God said, you want to put another god before me? Off with thy head. And 3,000 of them died for worshiping a golden calf, Exodus 32. And see, some people, they live with this mentality of off with thy head. But if you understand the New Testament... The upper room, the Holy Spirit falls. Not 3,000 people slain, 3,000 people saved. Because Peter spoke with such power, such authenticity. He spoke with such emotion. He spoke not by the letter of the law, but he spoke by the spirit of the law. Both of those events, however, happened on a mountain. Now follow this. It gets even greater and more interesting. The first mountain was Mount Sinai. The second mountain was the temple mount, Mount Zion. Because the scriptures say, if God's children will not praise me, I will cause the rocks to cry out and praise me. 
Now think about that. Sinai was a rock where the word of God was given to humanity. Calvary was a rock where the blood of Jesus Christ broke the back of Satan and set us free. The tomb where Jesus rose from the dead was a rock that was rolled away. And you and I have everlasting life. Mount Zion, the upper room, was a rock where the Holy Spirit began to fall. Now archaeologists come up with one discovery after another. We were in Israel a few months back and they just unsurfaced uh, un un a new discovery. Why? Because God's children get lockjaw. They get all tied up with the letter and they don't understand the spirit. And God says, if my New Testament church won't praise me, I'll cause the rocks to cry out and praise me. I have that type of power. I think about this because what we're talking about this morning is really a marriage. It's a marriage between God and his people. In the first Pentecost in the Old Testament, it's a marriage between God and Israel. And Israel is the bride. But in Acts chapter 2, it's the marriage of God and his church. It's the birthing of the New Testament church in the upper room. So you have to understand what it means to really be married. Because in our society today, people put no hold on marriage. People come, they go. Some of you are shacking up with people you're not married to. You're giving all the milk away. <laughs> I love what Beyonce said. It should be a prophetic statement. If, you're gonna, if you love me, put a ring on it. Oh, it's getting quiet up in here in this Presbyterian church. Because you're all shacking up. But a Jewish marriage consists of two major stages, and they do it to this day. This is nothing like old school. They do it to this day. We went to a, a wonderful uh, a Shabbat dinner when we were in Israel, and so I asked them about this, and they said, oh, yeah, uh, practicing Jews that believe the Torah, practice the Torah, they still do this today, the 21st century. When people want to get married, a boy and a girl show affection for one another, immediately what happens is they get both sets of parents involved. And they start to have a discussion on the strengths and the weaknesses of their children. And they're never alone. Oh, I like that as, two, uh, as a parent with two girls. I like that. They're never alone. So we have this opportunity. You know what? I think that she could be the one. I think he could be the one. So we get mom and dad. We get the parents involved. And then the parents start to discuss the strengths and the weaknesses of each one of their children. And what happens is they write out a contract in this time of engagement. They call it in the Hebrew a ketubah. And in this contract, it states, hey, if this thing goes forward and they get married, this is what she will do. This is what he will do. And they'll keep that oath because this is a commitment. Do you know when God married the church, he gave us a ketubah? This is the word. He says, this is what I will do for you. He gave it to Israel. He says, this is what I'll do for you, my chosen people. But to the New Testament church, he says, these are the parameters and the borders. You're not to go out of the parameter and the border of what I called you to do. I've called you to stay in the parameter of my grace, my mercy, and my love. What you bind, I'll bind. What you loose, I'll lose. You want healing, I'll give it to you. You want freedom, I'll give it to you. You want joy, I'll give it to you. What you need, supernatural provision, I'll give it to you. This is my word to you, and all you have have to do is ask me not doubt in your heart and I will give it to you that's God's commitment and this commitment is everlasting it doesn't change because of your behavior and after this first ketubah this written contract God does something to his church but in the Jewish tradition what happens next is consummation 
In other words, they get married. That's what happens in the Old Testament with Israel and God. Jeremiah 2.2 states, and I'll quote, that Mount Sinai, God betrothed himself to Israel. He brings them to this mountain. He gives them the written word, the Torah, the contract, God's obligation to Israel. And what's his obligation? I'll bless those that bless you. You're my chosen people. I'll curse those that curse you. He gives them the parameters of that land, that land that was given to them, not because of a world war, not because of a Palestinian objective, not because of a UN resolution. That was given through a contract, a ketubah by God Almighty and a covenant with Abraham that says that is their land. They do not occupy that land. They own that land. And because they own that land, that's the solemn announcement that God is making in the 21st century for all those people that argue and say the Palestinians, that's their land. The Palestinians did never own that land. Israel owned that land. That's God's chosen land that he gave through this commitment. You need to understand that because when you see Israel and the natural land, it should bring joy to your heart to see the spiritual land that God gives you. Wherever your foot will go, I'll be with you. You'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the field. You'll be blessed going in. You'll be blessed going out. God says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. He didn't say, I'm going to try to do it. I'll get around to it. He says, you ask and I will do it. Now think about this. Let's get back to this marriage ceremony. Y'all getting something out of this today? Two of you, but the rest of you, I'll hold you hostage for a little longer. In a marriage ceremony, this thing is interesting because in Exodus 19, the Bible says Israel camped before the Lord. God gave them this issue, uh, this marriage. They camped before the Lord. The word camped is chana in the Hebrew. It means they became one. They became one. Now what you don't realize is Israel was a nation of slaves. For 430 years, they have been literally killed, slaughtered, and used as Pharaoh's whipping post. And they were now camping before the Lord, and they became one. They became one, a nation of slaves, and now they're camping before the Lord. They followed Pharaoh, but now they're following God. In the upper room, Acts chapter 2, the Bible says when the day of Pentecost had fully come. That means on the 50th day. They were all in one accord. They came together. In the New Testament, the church was one. But in the 21st century church, we are not one. We're divided over every silly theological thing that any crazy person can come up with. We're divided over the haves and the have-nots. We're divided over this denomination and that denomination. We're divided over race and materialism. We are saving souls and not skins, and there's a world of difference. You need to know you're a child of God no matter what color you are. And that's important because everybody wants to be something they're not. When they're pale, they want to get tan. When they got curly hair, they want to straighten it. And when they're bald, they want to buy it. we got to take an offering, brother. we got to make this happen. <laughs> but the church needs to become one. Why? So the world would know we were sent by God. So the world would know that we were sent by Him. Not sent by a government official. Not sent by some denominational organization that has no ties to what God's doing in the community. Not tied by anything other than God Himself. Where He ties us together in this beautiful tapestry of His love. And the infilling of His Spirit. And He overwhelms us with His grace. We're not waiting for the other shoe to drop so the enemy can come and take us out. We're waiting for the blessing to come at a greater measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over. 
But this is really a pouring out of the Holy Spirit, what I'm talking about. God did it for the Jewish people, and he does it for his New Testament people. In Exodus 19, the Bible says the trumpet sounded, and it grew louder and louder and louder until the earth shook and God answered with thunder. What happens on the resurrection morning? Well, the scriptures tell us the, the trumpet of God shall sound louder and louder and louder until the dead in Christ rise to meet the Lord in the air. I like that because I'm not waiting to go down. I'm waiting to go up. I'm not waiting to bury me in a grave. I'm waiting for the rapture of the church, Jack. You all don't know about that, but I'll teach you some other time. In Exodus 20, verse 18, the Bible says all the people perceived the thunderings, plural. That's interesting because the people perceived the thunderings, plural. That means at that moment, Jewish scholars tell us, not Christian scholars, Jewish scholars tell us that at that moment at Mount Sinai, God split the languages into 70 different languages. And the reason he did it, so every person on the earth at that moment could hear about the God of Israel. That he split the languages in 70 different languages out of Exodus 20 verse 18. You can look this up yourself. And 70 different languages because every person on the planet needed to hear the word of God in their own language. Let's fast forward 4,000 years later. Now we're in the upper room and the voice of the Holy Spirit begins to speak through 120 people. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. A mighty rushing wind. The wind represents the Holy Spirit and fire. They filled the whole house where they they were and there appeared to them cloven tongues of fire sat upon all of them the scriptures say they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance at Sinai there were 70 languages but in the upper room there were hundred and twenty different languages why why there is a discrepancy and a difference I can tell you why because there had to be an official prayer meeting remember the number 10 means test and you had to have 10 people there to have official kosher prayer meeting in those days that would be the testing that it would be legitimate. How many 12, how many tribes of Israel were there? 12. So each tribe had to have a testing of 10 of representations from the tribe. The tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of, and it goes down the list. 10 times 12, 120. Why, did, why is that important? Because they came out of that upper room. And if you've ever studied the Passover in the first century, they would come from all over the east and all over the world for Passover. And there would be different languages there in different exchanges of currency from all over the world. So they came down off that upper room and they literally spoke in every known language that was there worshiping at Passover. God knew how many languages there were because he created those languages. And he he says, I'm going to give you this language. I'll give you that language. I'll give you, Peter, this language. And that was overwhelming to the people because they heard the word of God. The wonders of Christ spoke in their own language to the point they thought they were drunk. What does that mean? That means there was something happened on the outside. They thought they had too much Thunderbird on the inside. See, some of you need to get Holy Ghost Thunderbirded out. Because you just sit around like you're just... So prim and proper. We have this amazing worship, this amazing church, these amazing pastors, and you are just too prim and proper. And God says, would you all get drunk? And I don't mean get crunk. This ain't little John. This is big Joe. He says, get drunk on the Holy Ghost and be what God's called you to be. Now you're just meddling. I know, right? 
you're getting drunk on the wrong things, you old winos. Some of you are drinking and calling yourself sophisticated sipper. Yeah, you old devils, winos. You're drunk on the wrong things. Let me move on before I get in trouble. If you're watching, by the way, the internet, I'm sorry. Just telling you. But the gospel needed to go in every language. Now think about something that happens that many of you never even thought of. Now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Do you know from the Garden of Eden all the way to the upper room, you can be around the things of God. Last Sunday, I talked about Elijah and the prophet being at that chamber. Why? Because that prophet represents the presence of God. And that woman knew if I can get that prophet in the house, then the presence of God would be there. Why? You could see Elijah call fire down from heaven. If you didn't see him and you weren't around him, you weren't feeling and sensing that presence. How about in the ministry of Jesus? You could be around him. You can touch him. You can see him do the miracles. But only until we get into the upper room do we have the biblical right for the first time to speak out the words greater is he that's within me than he that's within this world because now he lives in us and this baptism I'm speaking about this is a separate work of grace I want you to know the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 as we close that all people come to the Lord because the spirit of God calls you at, at salvation, when you give your life to Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in thee. The Bible says, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation chapter 3. If anybody hears my voice, we will come in, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there is a world of difference between that Spirit being in you and it coming to the full upon you. But this old valley has taught a crazy, demonic concept, unfathomable to even think anybody with intelligence would buy in to you have to be spirit-filled and speak in that unknown tongue as an evidence of salvation. There's nothing further from the truth. The Bible tells us whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All you have to do is believe. And then once you believe, God says, I got great gifts for you. I got the gift of healing for you. I got the gift of tongues for you. I got the gift of interpretation of that for you. I've got all these amazing gifts of, of encouragement for you. I've got all these crazy, wonderful things for my children if they'll just believe. How about Matthew 3.11? This is what John says. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. That would be salvation but he that cometh after me that would be Jesus whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and power how many of y'all see two separate works there how about the, the Bible telling us in Acts chapter 9 when the apostle Paul was on the road to Damascus an enemy of the church Christian killing to the fullest degree Dignity was his middle name, but yet because of the stamp of the church and the stamp of Rome, he was taking out Christians. And God says, oh, no, why are, you, why are you coming against me, Paul? And Paul didn't even know there was a Jesus. He didn't know that that was real. But God says, you're kicking against me. He knocked him down on the road to Damascus, and he was at that moment saved. How do you know he was? Because he said, who art thou, Lord, and what would you have me to do? He was saved, but we see in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, Ananias had to come and lay his hands on him so he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit and power. Why? He had to get to 50. He had to get to the overflow. Mark 16, 17, these signs will follow them that believe. If you believe, you're saved, are you not? In my name, they'll cast out demons. They'll speak in other tongues as the Spirit. Those are works of grace. Those are gifts of God. The Scriptures say, forbid not the speaking in tongues, 1 Corinthians 14, 39. 1 Corinthians 14, 5 says, I would all of you have spoken tongues. 
that's not talking about the dispersing of a language. That's talking about a prayer language that you would not know how to pray in Romans 8.26, but that spirit itself would make intercession for you with groaning and utterances that you know not of. So this is not something for people who are mature and people who have it. How about the house of Cornelius? He was not mature. He didn't know there was a Jesus. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't know one blessed thing. But the apostle came in, gave him the three-point sermon, and before he finished with the second, they were all saved, baptized, and filled with the Holy Spirit. They weren't mature. They just heard about it. And they said, hey, if that's God's gift, I'm taking it. What's my point to you today? My point to us today is you do not have everything in you sometimes to overcome the enemy. At salvation, the scriptures tell us that the spirit of God lives inside of us. But how many of you know the hyenas of hell will come upon you and try to take you down? The laughing hyenas of debt, the laughing hyenas of doubt, unbelief, sickness and disease, discouragement. All these hyenas, I'll call them of hell, will come and try to surround you because the lion lives on the inside of you. When you receive the Lord, the lion's already on the inside. And sometimes that lion can roar. But I've got to also tell you, he's called the lamb for a reason. Because sometimes when the hyenas of hell come, the only utterance you can give is, bah, bah. you are a lamb and you need help. Everybody say help. help. All of us need help. I want you to watch this video because I want you to see yourself as a lion on the inside of what God's put on the inside. But sometimes that's not enough because God's got to come with the helper so you can ward off and fend off the hyenas of hell that try to take you out. Because something in us needs more. And that's what the upper room infilling is all about, the more. The more that God would give you more, that you would have another gear to kick in because you don't know how to get through that and you don't have the strength to, to overwhelm those situations and you don't know how to pray and you don't know how to overcome that and you don't know how to get through that situation. So you don't have the words to say verbally. So you've got to let the spirit kick in and you've got to let the, the helper, he's called the paraclete, he comes alongside and he starts to help you and he advocates for you. He becomes your great lawyer, your great defender, and he starts advocating. Watch this video, and I want you to see yourself in this video when the hyenas of hell come to take you out. And watch who comes to defend you. As they mature, young males begin to explore the boundaries of the pride's territory. Red has ventured out alone. <laughs> and blundered straight into the middle of the hyena clam. <laughs> over 20 of them. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> 
to wear him down. This number of hyenas could kill him. It's impossible to fight them all at once. He can't keep them at bay for much longer. He's tiring fast. His ally, Tartu, has heard the commotion. hyenas. A pair of male lions is too much to take on. Red is lucky. I want you today, as we stand together all over the building, if you'd stand with me please, I want you to see yourself today as what's on the inside of you. There's a lion on the inside of you. But I want you to also understand that's not enough. We know it's not enough because the Holy Spirit had to come to fill you to overflow, to become your helper. You can't accomplish everything with just the lion on the inside. If that was the case, the Holy Spirit would not have need to come. John chapter 7, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. He's speaking about the spirit that would come. The Bible says as he was taken up to heaven, he breathed on him, and he said, Receive my spirit. It was a delay in the infilling until 50 days later. But Christ Almighty, the lion himself, knew that there had to be an advocate. Someone had to come alongside and help because you would be overwhelmed by the hyenas of hell. That in life, they will come and they will surround you. And as strong and as mighty as you may be on the inside, it's not enough. And that's why we're all leaky vessels. And we need to have a continual overflow out of our reservoir. Where we ask the Lord to bring that helper that comes alongside. When I'm at my weakest, when I feel like I can't fight off the enemy one more moment longer, that's where the Holy Spirit comes and says, I got you. I got you, I got you, I have you, and I'll hoard them off so you can accomplish your divine destiny.